Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Stay at Home Thad. everybody this is Thaddeus this is our uh, I guess we'll call this our Groundhog Day episode hopefully it repeats over and over and over again hashtag analytics drive up those numbers come on get me those listens folks you know you want to what what just starting off the rails already man what a disaster we'll edit this part out in post it's all right hey thanks for joining us today Glad that you have jumped on board, and we're going to be recapping Championship Sunday. What a day it was. I feel like I've said that every week. Maybe this is Groundhog Day episode, because I feel like every time I've recapped a game, it's been, what a game that was. Got to figure out some new ways to describe football games, man. This is this is getting crazy, but some of you are still tracking with me, and I love you for that. Thank you so much. But let's jump right into it with the recap of the Chiefs and Bengals and what was, I'm going to say, a surprising upset at first glance. I think now that I've kind of thought about it for a few more days, it's not as surprising. But at the time, I think it was a surprising upset with the Road Warriors, Cincinnati Bengals, coming back from 21-3 to win 27-24 in overtime in the first game on Sunday afternoon. This marked the second, second half comeback for the Bengals against the Chiefs this season. The first happening in that thrilling week 17 Bengals victory, of course. I'm not going to lie to you. I was bored for the first half of this game. It was, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised. I, I kind of thought that the game was going to go the way that it did, at least for that first half with Kansas City jumping out to a big lead on Three consecutive touchdown drives to begin the game. All Patrick Mahomes touchdown passes. First one to Tyreek Hill at 7:17 of the first quarter. Just a, a ridiculous 10-yard laser beam, which, I mean, is actually covered really well by the Bengals' defense. Mahomes scrambled to his right, kind of didn't really have anything available to him, scrambled to his right, and Tyreek Hill just got a step on cornerback Chidobi Awuzie and made the catch in the back corner of the end zone couple things, or really one thing from that drive that stood out to me was was Tony Romo talked early on of the importance of keeping Mahomes in the pocket. And in the first half, Cincinnati didn't have much success in doing that and resulted in a big touchdown like the one on this play. But it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, like a big play drive necessarily. Like it was kind of methodical, prodding. They, they kind of took the underneath stuff. Cincinnati was content to kind of hang over top in coverage and Patrick Mahomes showed that he's he was able to be patient and made the Bengals pay for it. The second touchdown came at 12-14 of the second quarter. Kind of looked like a seemingly broken play with Mahomes doing his Russell Wilson spinorama wizardry to escape the collapsing pocket and again scrambled and was able to find Kelsey this time. And then the third and final Chiefs touchdown of the day was to Mecole Hardman First and goal from the three. This was at 5.04 of the second quarter. I think the Bengals were in man on this play, and you had Hardman starting lined up on the outside, uh, on the left side of the formation. Hill was in the slot on the same side. Hardman ran a, a jet motion to the right. If you watch the replay after taking the snap, 
Romo pointed this out, but as I was watching some highlights of it later and really noticed it on the replay, but Mahomes actually opens his body up to the middle of the field and the Chiefs have run that little shovel pass so well, whether it's, you know, a running back kind of motioning across or Kelsey coming across the formation, but they've run that play so well and have so many different variations of it that they've incorporated into the offense over the last couple seasons. The Bengals had to respect it. You had Eli Apple, who was covering Hardman and just, I think, hesitated enough to give Hardman the space that he needed to make the uncontested catch. And just like that, it was 21-3, to and it felt pretty bleak at that point if you were a Bengals fan, I think. Or maybe not. Maybe you're just so confident in Joe Burrow that as a Bengals fan, you're like, no, we're, we're, we got this. But as somebody who's not a Bengals fan and somebody who's was just watching the game as, as a football fan, it felt like it was a... a it felt over at that point. You had the Evan McPherson 32-yard field goal at the end of the first, but otherwise that was really it in terms of the offense for the Bengals. It was rough because you had C.J. Uzama, who left the game three minutes left in the first quarter. That was diagnosed as a sprained MCL after the game. And he's played a bit of a role in the offense the first two games, just as kind of that check-down guy that Burrow's been going to uh, it'll be interesting to see what his status is going into the Super Bowl. But it honestly, it felt like the game was done then and there. That is until the orange tide began to turn with that 41-yard catch and run for a touchdown by Samaji Pirine. 105 remaining in the second quarter at that point to bring the score to 21-10. Such a fun play because he had Jamar Chase who was out in front with a key block. But you left a minute and five seconds left on the clock. And and I actually tweeted, you know, in, in that moment, if you're Pirine, do you actually consider downing the ball on like the two or three yard line and, and hope that you can score just so that you don't give the Chiefs another shot at the offense? Obviously, we saw what they did with 13 seconds left in the game last week against Buffalo. But I was wrong in ever having that thought because... Piran goes in for the end zone. You kick the ball back to the Chiefs rather than kicking a touchback. Again, sorry, Buffalo fans. But then after marching down the field and you had an Eli Apple defensive pass interference in the end zone, putting the ball on the one, you just had an uncharacteristically poorly executed goal line series that resulted in the Bengals defense making a huge stop. But still, like... Maybe I should stop doubting the Bengals, but I still, at that point, you're down 21-10. Sure, you just had a big defensive stop, but I honestly thought still, like, okay, like, you know, that's cute, but it's the Chiefs, it's Mahomes, it's Tyree Kill and Kelsey and Andy Reid. Like, they're they're going to be fine, but I was wrong again. You started the third quarter, you're kicking the ball back to the Chiefs. I thought, okay, here we go, like, it, this 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 is going to be it. And no, nothing. They have the big defensive drive to start that third quarter, the Bengals. You kick the field goal with five minutes to go in the third quarter, 21-13 at that point. You had the big man, B.J. Hill, interception. That set up Jamar Chase touchdown. He went six for 54 on the day. And then Trent Taylor had the two-point conversion in the final seconds of that third quarter, which tied things up. And 
Burrow, he did have the interception that he threw to Legereus Sneed on the ensuing Bengals possession after that Jamar Chase touchdown. But other than that, he looked so dang good in the second half, man. And, and he's just so confident. So confident. He's got the, he, he had all the help that he needed up front this week. I mean, nine sacks last week against Tennessee. But shout out to the Bengals offensive line. I kind of put them on blast in the keys to victory pod on Friday. They did a great job protecting Burrow this week. Only allowed 16 pressures, the one sack. And, you know, even though Chase was somewhat quiet, you know, six for 54 is not a big game for Chase by any stretch. But that's okay because Burrow's main receiving threat on Sunday was T. Higgins, who went six receptions for 103. You had Burrow, who finished the game 23 of 38, 243 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But honestly, you just going back to the defense, you can't say enough about the job that they did for Cincinnati. They kept them afloat in that second half. They had that big stop to end the first half, of course. I would listen to an argument that places the blame on the Chiefs' offense, on Patrick Mahomes' kind of short-circuiting, but I I think it's more impressive the Bengals' performance and shutting down all the weapons because the fact is, even if you have one guy that doesn't play well, I mean, there still were other offensive weapons, but nobody was able to get anything going on the Kansas City offense in the second half. I mean, after the Perrine score, you had, or P. Ryan, sorry, you had the Kansas City offense with over a minute. Um, uh, like I said, that's plenty of time for the Chiefs offense. And if you give up a score there, then you're kicking it back to Kansas City to start the second half. So at worst, you could have been facing 35-10 to 10 by the time your first offensive possession happens in the third, if you're the Bengals. But instead, the Defense pinned their ears back. You got the stop at the end of the second quarter, proceeded to give up only two first downs to Mahomes and company in the second half. The only points they gave up was the field goal by Harrison Butker to send the game to overtime. I mean, that's wild. That is so crazy. Talked about Trey Hendrickson and DJ Reader in the Keys to Victory pod. They were actually quiet for Cincinnati on the defensive line in the first half, but Finished the game combined, seven total tackles. You had one and a half sacks by Hendrickson. He played so great, man. He finished with a 33.3 pass rush win rate, 33.3%. Basically, once every three rushes on a pass rush, he was beating his guy, and he was worn out. You could see that at the end of the game when he was hanging out by the um, kicker net. But just a dominant overall performance by him, despite starting out very quietly. And like I said, they they shut down Hill in the second half. That was one of the things I was talking about on Friday. He did all of his damage in the first half. He, he went seven receptions, 78 yards, one touchdown. And then in overtime, despite the MVP coin trying his or her darndest to give the game back to the Chiefs, the Bengals' defense foiled that plan. You had Jesse Bates third, knocking it down for Von Bell. Turns out that I picked the wrong defensive back to have a key role in the game. I had said Mike Hilton was going to have to shine through. He still played well, though. But then, of course, that interception in overtime set up the late-game heroics yet again of Evan McPherson, Shooter McPherson, Money McPherson, whatever you want to call him. Man, this guy is a Cincinnati legend already. He will never have to buy himself another meal or drink for the rest of his life in that city. That's 
what a story that's been this year. But honestly, the game is a little hard to fathom for me. It, I thought it was ludicrous to pick against Kansas City. Anybody who was doing it, I thought was either a fan of Can- uh, a fan of Cincinnati or just trying to get people to listen to them or click clickbait, if you will. But it seemed like the issues that Kansas City struggled with earlier on in the season kind of came back to haunt them in the second half of this game. Mahomes just looked like he couldn't get comfortable. He finished 26 of 39, 275 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. But most of that was the first half. He played very poorly in the second half, couldn't get anything going. And and the Bengals' defense and, and offense just put together a complete game to win it and send them to their first Super Bowl in franchise history since 1989. I know our buddy Hunter was pretty pumped. Mitch, another buddy of mine, he was going crazy. So happy for those guys. A little bit bummed that I've never experienced this as a Lions fan, but I can still hope, I guess. But I, I want to pose you this question, and, and maybe it's too soon to ask this, but I'm going to do so anyways. I wonder if you're setting up a little bit of a Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers comparison. I mean, getting to conference championship games alone is quite the challenge, and the Chiefs have played in four straight. They've won two of them, and then obviously have the one Super Bowl victory. But with the crop of young quarterback talent emerging in the AFC, I don't think it's a given that the Chiefs are going to get there every single year. That kind of seemed inevitable up until even last year after they lost the game to the Bucks. I kind of think the narrative was that, you know, who's going to stop this team for the next, you know, five, six, seven years? Mahomes signed that crazy contract to keep him in Kansas City for, you know, probably the majority of his career, if not all of it. But I don't know. You look at Rodgers. He won the Super Bowl in his third season as a starter in Green Bay in 2010. And since then, he's played in the NFC Championship game four times. He's lost all four of them, a bunch or all of those to Sam Fran, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not all of them, but about two or three of them to San Francisco. I'm not saying that it's going to happen the same way for the Chiefs, but I'm just saying you, you never know. So... Either way, Joe Burrow, he's he's there. He's in the AFC, and his confidence alone, I think, could push him over the edge and, and be somebody who's you know a thorn in the flesh of the Chiefs for the next couple of years. But he's he might be creeping into the one of my favorite players category. He's he's not quite there, but it's it's hard not to like him. And thanks to my good buddy Tom in the prestigious Keepers League. I get to enjoy Jamar Chase on my roster for the next couple of years. Shout out Tom. That was a fun trade. The, the Bengals are a little bit of a spicy team. They're, they're fun to watch. They've got weapons. Joe Mixon, of course. He's no slouch. T. Higgins. Tyler Boyd. Now if they can just shore up that offensive line that has been garbage but held it together on Sunday, man, this, this team could be dangerous. So watch out. The question remains, will I pick the Bengals for the Super Bowl? I went one for one on Championship Sunday. I think the stay-at-home Thad curse has been broken, but before I give you my pick, why don't we take a look at that other game from Sunday? 
despite enjoying home field advantage, the San Francisco 49ers couldn't channel it into a victory. Oh, hold on a second. Uh, I am just getting word that this game actually took place in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, which is uh, home of the Rams. Oh, wow. You, you could have fooled me, though. I mean, come on, Los Angeles. That was majority red in that building. Wild. I know Debo, my guy Debo, he was talking about how he was upset that they had shut down ticket sales to people living outside the Los Angeles area, and they got them to change that early in the week. But just you know, just an example of Debo Samuel being being the guy that you want on this team, calling out injustice. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. But anyways... The NFC Championship game, and it's the majority road team. What's up with that? Shame on you, Los Angeles Rams fans. If you're listening, I still actually love you, though. But the Rams, they finally exercised their demons against San Francisco, winning for the first time after losing the previous six matchups. Final in this one was Rams 20, 49ers 17. The game started Kind of slowly, Stafford threw his lone interception of the game on the second possession of the game, third and goal from the three. He kind of tried to force it to cup and threw it just behind him. Ball was deflected by Kawan Williams, intercepted by Jimmy Ward. But the 49ers couldn't capitalize on the turnover. They end up punting it back to the Rams. And on the next possession, the longest drive of the season for Los Angeles in terms of yardage, they went 97 yards. Time, 9 minutes and 33 seconds, a number of plays. It was an 18-play drive. You had Stafford finding Cooper Cup, 3rd and 13, for a 16-yard touchdown pass. 49ers gave them like a, a cover-two look, and Cup just split outside, runs an easy corner route for the first score of the day. But, I mean, you had a great response by the 49ers, or maybe I should say a great response by Debo Samuel. He scores on a 44-yard tunnel screen, breaks a couple tackles, outruns another, dives from three yards out for the score. Have I ever talked about Debo Samuel on this pod before? Maybe I have. I Check the tape. Go back and listen. But this guy is good. He finished the game with 98 yards total offense. A little fun fact, I picked up some Debo Samuel rookie cards on eBay this week for super cheap. Pretty pumped about that. Having a little bit of a sports card resurgence for the first time in like 17 years. Um, I am a sucker for Tim Hortons hockey cards that are released every year. So if you're listening out there, feel free to send me all the Tim Hortons cards that you can get your hands on. Uh, Send me a message on Instagram or Twitter or email and I'll give you my address and you can send me every single one. Anyways, that's uh, maybe I'll do a sports card memorabilia episode in the offseason. Spoiler alert, I don't know. But, wow, that was off the rails. Anyways, the Rams offense, they came out flat on that next drive and it culminated in a Matt Gay missed field goal, which allowed the 49ers to take a 10-7 lead into the half after you had hashtag Gould forever, Robbie Gould, kicking a field goal as time expired on the first half. He finished perfect in the playoffs, which is pretty remarkable. But the Rams offense, you start the second half, and your offense kind of stalls out again. That was the drive that Stafford tried the quarterback sneak on that fourth and one. 
He didn't get it. McVeigh challenged the play for some reason, and he lost the challenge and lost their first timeout of the half. Kind of poor timeout management by McVeigh overall in that second half. And it, it looked like the 49ers were going to get things rolling after that. Kittle scored on the next drive on a 16-yard pass from Jimmy G to put them up 17-7. You had a one-on-one -on -one matchup, it looked like, on the left side of the offense, right side of the defense. And it uh, looked like linebacker Ernest Jones was lined up over Kittle, and maybe he thought he had safety help over top. He, he kind of stopped on the coverage, but... The safety, Nick Scott, was shaded over on the other side of the field. and I mean, easy score for Kittle, but that was all that he did on the game. He finished two receptions, 27 yards, and that one uh, touchdown on that play there. But after that, San Francisco couldn't get anything going offensively for the rest of the game. And really up to that moment, the Rams' defense had been relatively quiet. Uh, they didn't have any sacks. They hadn't really generated a lot of pressure. You know, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, your best players, you know, they, they were pretty quiet. But that Kittle score seemed to be a little bit of a, a rallying point for them. You had Aaron Donald calling the defense together after the Kittle score. The broadcast, they were talking about how he's not necessarily that raw, raw vocal type of leader. He's, he's a little bit more of the, you know, lead by example type guy. But he rallied the defense around him, gave them the big speech, you know, we're better than those guys. And that Kittle score there was the final points that the Rams gave up the whole game. That was the cue for Stafford and Cup to get their connection, put it on display. And on the next drive, Cup had three catches, 28 yards, and finished with a touchdown on that next drive. You also had Kendall Blanton contributing two catches, 29 yards on the subsequent drive there. He was in for Tyler Higby, starting tight end, who also has an MCL sprain. We have a theme of tight ends and MCL sprains. So again, kind of monitor what he's what his status will be going into the Super Bowl. But Stafford then leads the Rams on two field goal drives to end the game. And he got super lucky on the first field goal drive. I mean, you have 10 minutes, just under 10 minutes left in that fourth quarter. You're down 17-14. Jaquiski Tart drops what would have been a huge interception. And on the very next play, Stafford hit OBJ for a 44-yard completion with the added 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty against Jimmy Ward for the contact to the head and Matt Gay kicked a field goal 649 left game is tied and the 49ers up until that point hadn't had your major Jimmy G meltdown moment brought to you by I mean I don't know take your pick who's going to sponsor the Jimmy G meltdown moment of the game maybe send me a, a message and tell me who should sponsor that but he he played I mean, I'm not going to say he played great up until those final drives, but he didn't play terrible. I guess you could say he saved his meltdown moment for the very end of the game. You had this weird interception. He's pressured, and he's trying to avoid this, the sack. He's trying to make something happen and just kind of shovels it to the running back over the running back's head, and Traven Howard is there for the interception. And you have Matthew Stafford, the missing piece in Sean McVay's offense, the unlucky gunslinger never could overcome the front office woes in Detroit. You finally have him getting his big moment, and he helps lead his team 
to an NFC Championship and a berth in the Super Bowl. And this was another game, talked about it a couple times, but just another week where the Rams front office, you can point at the way that they've put that team together, the accumulation of proven players at the expense of, of draft capital, and they can kind of say, hey, our plan is working. Ultimately, it works the most if it results in a Super Bowl victory, but to get to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's that's a big part of why you brought Stafford and Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey a couple of years ago, all, all these big names, OBJ, free agency, you know, th- this is why you did it. Stafford, he finished the game 31 of 45, 337 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He did get bailed out, bailed out on that drop by Tart, but he played solid, man. I had talked about that cliche of your best players needing to be your best players. And you could argue that Donald and Miller, you know, they're effective. They weren't necessarily outstanding. Von Miller, up to this point in the playoffs, he does have a 90.5 pass rushing grade, according to PFF, in the postseason. And, I mean, that's the best grade of all pass rushers. Aaron Donald, you know, had that momentum-shifting speech that sparked the defense so they maybe weren't your best players but they definitely had impacts on the game you had Jalen Ramsey he didn't allow any receptions knocked down a couple passes had a shot at a couple interceptions you'd like it if he brings those down but something to note going into the Super Bowl you had Darius Williams the corner opposite of Jalen Ramsey he gave up a hundred plus rushing or sorry a hundred plus passing yards in this one and two touchdowns to his coverage zone. So it'll be interesting to see if that's a point of emphasis for Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati offense in two weeks. One funny thing to kind of note, Eric Weddle led the Rams in tackles. Two years retired, he was signed before wildcard weekend, and here he is leading his team in tackles in the NFC Championship. Now he's about to play in a Super Bowl. That is a, a pretty wild story. And... Betty's pretty pumped that he picked up the phone and answered the call when the Rams came asking for him. I mean, for San Francisco, you had Bosa and, and really the whole defensive line for the 49ers. They played well. Debo played well. Didn't really get much from your running backs. Garoppolo pay, played, you know, fine, but had the meltdown moment, and he got bailed out in terms of his numbers by a ton of yards after the catch. Uh, 142 of 232 yards were from yards after the catch. And San Francisco didn't really have answers for Stafford and Cup and OBJ, which I get it, that's tough to do. But you had Cup going 11 receptions, 142 yards, the two touchdowns. Odell Beckham Jr., nine receptions, 113 yards. And it sets up a really great matchup. February 13th, Super Bowl Sunday, Bengals taking on the Rams. And now, the moment you have been waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, where am I going with my Super Bowl pick? Well, I'm actually going to have you hold on for another couple days. I will release my pick next week. I'm incredibly busy pouring over charts and graphs and numbers and I'm really going to take a scientific approach to this one so I'm going to let you know who I'm picking later on in this week or next 
I also think that a guest is coming onto this show. First guest on Stay at Home Thad. That's very exciting. You'll want to tune in for that. But you can get episodes downloaded automatically to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All it takes is you subscribing. And as soon as episodes are live, you will have those waiting for you, ready for your ears to be tickled with the sound of my voice. That I, I that was like a Michael Scott moment where I started that sentence and didn't know where it was going. So I am so sorry for that. That was that was too much. But uh, if if you are tuning in regularly, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'd love it if you shared the podcast with somebody that you know, somebody that you think would enjoy what I'm doing here or somebody that would not enjoy what I'm doing here. Just share it anyways. Maybe it's a link to the show itself or a specific episode that maybe stood out to you. Maybe you could post it on social media. Maybe you could screenshot some five-star reviews and post those to your Instagram stories or Twitter accounts. Honestly, however you do it, I'm not too picky how, but it means so much when people share my content with others. So if you do that, I would be eternally grateful. We have no Sunday football this week. I am uh, trying to put on a brave face, but it is, it's tough. I had put on Instagram a couple days ago. Let me know what you're thinking about doing. We had influencer Dave wrote in and said he's going to be sending trades in the aforementioned prestigious Keepers League. Silly Dave thinking that trades will help him win the championship. Well, he's wrong. Gideon says that he's going to be watching Dan Orlovsky Lions highlights, which that's just hurtful. And Robinson on Instagram, who actively engages with content that is put out there from the Stay at Home Thad show. But he says in his analysis for the game in two weeks, he says Jay Burr, which I'm assuming is Joey Burrow, to Jay Murr, which I'm assuming is Jamar Chase. Jay Burr to Jamar will be unstoppable. And folks, that's the hard-hitting insight that I'm looking for from you who are football fans just like me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, find me on Instagram. Find me on Twitter. Send me an email. And if we've never met and you are listening to episodes, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's following the Instagram page or or the Twitter page. Again, on Instagram, it's at Stay at Home Thad Show. On Twitter, it's at Stay at Home Thad. I, uh, I'd love to hear from you. If you're somebody that I've never met and you've stumbled across stuff and you're listening, I'd, I'd, it'd be great to connect with you. So send me a message and let's be friends. How's that sound? Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you later. Peace.